You're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Matter, your host. I've got Adam Wright, CEO of Vespin Energy, and uh, as a guest today, uh, welcome to the program, Adam. Hey, Matt, how are you? Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, what Vesp- Vespin Energy is and uh, what your role is over at the company. Yeah, of course. So Vespian Energy, uh, you can look at it in two different ways. The first is we're a methane mitigation company. Uh, and the second is we're a, a renewable energy developer. Uh, we target landfills. We Firstly, we look at landfills as a major source of methane emissions. Uh, and we work with smaller landfills uh, that generally would be outside of the realm of traditional landfill developers. Uh, and we help those landfills mitigate their methane emissions by installing self-sustaining microgrids. Uh, and a self-sustaining microgrid is essentially a landfill gas to electricity project. So we're combusting the methane uh, in a clean burning turbine, but then we're using that energy rather than uh, distributing it, distributing it uh, out from the site, we're actually bringing the the user of that energy to the site in the form of data processing. Uh, and data processing can mean a lot of different things. And there's there's several types of data processing. One of the most notable is in fact Bitcoin mining. Uh, and we'll kind of get into the details there. Happy to um, you know elaborate a little bit more about the context of of landfills and landfill gas and the problem uh, at large. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, your background and what led you to be, um, you know, to to Vespine Energy. Sure. Uh, well, my background is mechanical engineering. Um, so I have a degree in mechanical engineering from UC Berkeley. Uh, and my focus uh, in my career was primarily on ocean engineering. So the, the majority of my career was actually in uh, submarine design. Um, so I was the founder and CEO of a company called Deep Flight. We did, we did uh, personal submarines for recreation and tourism, but also to you know expand uh, and, and sort of shine lights on uh, ocean conservation efforts uh, by bringing people underwater and having experiences and viewing the ocean kind of as a wilderness. Um, I come from sort of a long line of environmentalists. Uh, my grandfather started uh, an ocean conservation nonprofit called the Oceanic Society. Uh, so, you know, conservation and climate change has always been kind of part of my dinner table conversation. Um, and, you know, I got exposed to landfill gas and landfill methane and sort of the problem that it presents about two years ago. Um, and, you know, we founded Vespine um, on the on the basis of of solving or helping to solve the, the methane emissions problem. Well, uh, my understanding is methane gas is is much more dangerous to um, as a greenhouse gas than than CO two is uh, something on the order of ten times or more uh, dangerous. Um, and uh, landfills produce a fair amount of it. What percentage of methane uh, worldwide is coming from landfills? Yeah, there's there's several different estimates of that. Um, I think the the main sort of UN climate change body estimates that landfills represent about 20% of global methane emissions. Um, it's in third place behind oil and gas and uh, and agricultural sources such as uh, you know 
you you hear a lot about cow burps and uh, sort of manure dairy manure management, but landfill methane is a is a is a big problem, um, and it's not being mitigated to the extent that that we think it can be. So, just as a as a little bit of context, um, so yeah, you're 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 totally right. Methane is a is a horrible greenhouse gas. Um, in the first 20 years of its emission, it's actually 84 times worse than carbon dioxide. It does kind of degrade over time. So if you look at it in a 100-year window, it's actually 25 times worse. Uh, but I think any way, any way that you sort of shake a stick at it, methane is a, you know, is a terrible greenhouse gas. So, you know, mitigating and, and you know, sort of removing methane emissions is uh, of, of real primary importance uh, to climate change. And, um, you know, if we look at the landfill problem more specifically, and you're, you're, we're, we're U.S.-based, so we're focusing on kind of U.S. landfills right now, the U.S. has about 3,000 landfills. Um, you know, there's most of them are going to be uh, sort of rural, quite far away from city centers. Um, so only the largest of those landfills you uh, can can support a traditional energy project. And when I say traditional energy project, I mean, you know, basically building a power plant and selling that electricity to the grid or collecting that methane uh, and refining it into pipeline quality gas and then injecting that into the grid. So these two types of projects are very capital intensive and they require uh, infrastructure. So they require either you know transmission infrastructure or pipeline infrastructure in order to get that commodity, whether it be electrons or molecules, get that commodity away from the landfill into the end user. So this means that, you know, of those two of those three thousand landfills, only about six hundred of them are large enough to support those types of projects. All the rest of them are either flaring the gas, so they collect the gas and burn it in a flare because they're required to by the EPA because they've reached a certain emissions threshold. But landfills that are underneath that emissions threshold are just freely emitting uh, methane into the atmosphere. And our our primary target is these smaller landfills that are unregulated by the EPA uh, and are freely emitting uh, methane into the atmosphere. And how many of uh, the 2,400 uh, remaining, um, uh, you know, landfills are you, are you targeting? Uh, are you targeting the ones that are also flaring gas? Yeah, we are. And we are for sure. Uh, flare, you know, flaring gas. So there's, you know, there's two types of landfills, as I mentioned, uh, that we, that we target. There's, Landfills that are already collecting that gas, but they have no use case for it, so they flare it off. And so flaring is, you know, better for the environment than letting it emit. However, flares can be very inefficient, and I think that you know there's been some studies done a flare because it's 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 sort of an exposed uh, flame. It can be you know it can be influenced by wind or weather. And so generally speaking, a flare only has about 91% combustion efficiency. So there is a lot of methane that's actually escaping. Um, so from, from an efficiency standpoint, a methane combustion efficiency, it's much better to be combusting that methane inside of a generator where it's in a closed environment. Uh, and if you do it that way, you can achieve, you know, 99.5% uh, combustion efficiency. Um and then, you know, if you're collecting the methane from a, you know, emitting landfill, obviously the, you know, the methane destruction gains are are even greater. Um, so, you know, we target both. I think that, 
you know, for for counties or cities or municipalities that are uh, are operating flares, you know, these are these are basically you know cash sinks. You know, these are these are you know significant liabilities, financial liabilities for the community, um, and these communities, you know don't have a lot of cash on hand and now you know the they're they're sort of forced to upkeep these this infrastructure not only put in the capital to install the infrastructure but also maintain that infrastructure year over year just for the purpose of uh you know mitigating this environmental contaminant we come in and we can help those communities turn that liability into an asset by creating a a positive cash flow for them so then you put some kind of clean burning turbine there to help burn the methane and, and generate some power. Now, in terms of uh, the cost factor to to these end users, these 2,400 landfills, how much does it cost to, to put in your technology? Yeah, so uh, so we're a project developer. So from that from that perspective, we we fund all of the capital that goes into our projects. So we don't require any financial contribution from uh, from our customers. So not only that, we so we come in, we install you know all of our equipment uh, on on our dime, and then we and then on top of that, we pay that municipality a a royalty for the gas that we collect. Now, in terms of uh, what's What's the uh, downside for the municipality, if if any? Uh, there's no downside. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of a win-win. I mean, you know, the 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 the, the places that we're targeting are again smaller rural communities with not a whole lot of income streams, and these communities, because the landfill is is relatively small, it's going to be overlooked by traditional developers that are, you know, again, running these these larger types of projects. And so these, you know, these communities are, are, you know, have either a financial liability in the sense that they're, you know, forced to flare off this gas and incur this annual fee. And, and, you know, and this is going to be done into infinity because landfills are going to be producing gas uh, as long as that landfill is taking in more trash, that's going to be producing gas, you know, for decades. And even after that landfill closes, if that landfill is not taking in any more trash at all, it's still going to have about 60 years worth of methane that needs to be dealt with. So these are very long-term projects, very long-term uh, liabilities that we can come in and really help uh, communities, uh, you know, deal with, you know, the, the landfills that are the larger landfills that are targets for traditional developers, these are typically large cities, and these cities already have, you know, plenty of other revenue streams to them. The, the targets that we're targeting, you know, the, the landfills that we're targeting are, are rural, and, uh, you know, don't have a whole lot of other revenue streams. Well, you're listening to a climate change. Uh, this is Matt Mattern, your host, and I've got Adam Wright, who is CEO of Vespine Energy, which uh, is engaged in working with landfills to help mitigate their methane problems. Well, we'll be right back just after the break. You're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern, and I've got Adam Wright, the CEO of Vespine Energy, on the, the show. And Adam, just before the break, we were talking about uh, how you're working with uh, lots of communities across the country to bring uh, your 
a product or services uh, to reduce their methane emissions. Uh, how many communities are you currently working with? Yeah, so uh, we're a we're a young company. We're recently funded. Uh, we have you know backing from several uh, leading Silicon Valley uh, venture capitals uh, groups. Um, so we have three projects currently uh, in development and under, under construction. Um, one in Central California, um, one in Wisconsin, and one in Georgia. And so that's kind of the beauty of the you know using data and data processing to help to mitigate and monetize methane emissions means that you can that we can because we're off grid we don't require a grid or a pipeline connection we can operate uh basically anywhere on earth that there is uh stranded and emitting methane emissions um so this means that we, you know, we are agnostic of jurisdiction. Um, you know, we don't we don't care kind of how far we are away from a city center or away from a population center. We can provide our service uh, completely in you know quote unquote island mode uh, anywhere you know anywhere on Earth. Um, obviously, we're focusing on the U.S. market right now, but uh, you know the technology is uh, you know is applicable to other you know other jurisdictions. Um, in addition to those three sites that we have kind of under construction, we have about thirty sites that are in um, sort of our long term uh, pipeline that will be coming online over the next year to eighteen months. Okay, well, that's an impressive start. Now, uh, in terms of uh, the average cost to your company per site to to build this out and put a clean burning turbine, what what's kind of range of cost to to put this in? Sure, I mean, there's a you know there is a range, and it depends. There is there are some site specific uh, factors that go into that. I think one of the main things is. You know, different landfills, depending on sort of the, um, you know, the makeup of that particular community's trash, there's going to be differences in the the gas constituents. And so one of the things that we do prior to combusting it in the turbine is that we we actually filter out a lot of the contaminants. And this is sort of an ancillary, you know, I, I, you know, an ancillary benefit, let's say, of uh, combusting methane in a, in a micro turbine is that, you know, if you're, if you're either emitting that gas or you're, you're, or if you're flaring the gas, you're not doing any of this filtering, a lot of these other contaminants such as hydrogen sulfide, siloxanes, NOx, uh, there's all these other sort of dirty chemicals that are in this landfill gas that's just getting freely emitted into the atmosphere. And so an ancillary benefit of our technology is that we can mitigate the release of these uh, these other gases, which has, you know, significant uh, impacts on local health and, uh, you know, smog and air pollution. So because of the differences in this gas content, it's difficult to say, you know, what the actual cost per site will be. But on average, you know, depending on the size of the landfill, it could be, you know, on the low end, let's say $3 million on the high end for a large landfill, you know, up to about 10 million. But when we say large landfill, you know, we again, we are, we are targeting smaller landfills. So typically the gas flow, you know, we measure gas, gas flow in, you know, cubic feet per minute. And so we're targeting sites that are, let's say a thousand cubic feet per minute and below. 
But if you imagine that, you know, a thousand cubic feet per minute, that sounds like a very big number. And in fact, it is a big number, but from a landfill perspective, that's actually considered a small landfill. And there's thousands of these sites across the country that are, you know, either freely emitting their, their methane or at best, you know, flaring the methane, but in a inefficient manner. Well, tell us a little bit about the additional chemicals that you're filtering out these contaminants and and how uh, what you're doing with those contaminants once they are filtered out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the contaminants. Uh, so there's two main contaminants, or I guess three main contaminants that we fi filter out. Um, the first one is hydrogen sulfide. That's what gives you kind of the rotten egg smell. And this is a very kind of hazardous uh, hazardous gas. Um, there's a there's basically a, a solid uh, filter. So there's a there's basically a you know a, a particulate uh, matter. It's actually created of of iron particles that this 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 uh, this filtration substrate will uh, actually bind with the hydrogen sulfide into a into a solid. Um, and so that when that when that hydrogen sulfide binds to this solid uh, filtration sub substrate, it becomes basically an inert solid and it can be disposed of as a non-hazardous material. So it goes from being a kind of a hazardous gas into a non-hazardous solid. So that's on the hydrogen sulfide side. Um, there's other constituents. Another one is called uh, siloxanes and a siloxane is like a silicon based uh, chemical. And that gets filtered out by a an activated carbon. Um, so you know you would have activated carbon or activated charcoal uh, filters for you know a typical air filter, and this this filtration is enough to bind to the siloxane molecules and again uh, render it inert in a uh, in a solid that can be disposed of as a non hazardous uh, uh, you know commodity. Well, that uh, that all sounds good. I guess the question. Uh... I have uh, regarding the energy that you're you're using some of this energy for data processing in terms mm -hmm. of Bitcoin mining. Uh, that's where I guess I have a, a bit of an issue with uh, why use it for Bitcoin mining. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so I think first the first thing to understand about Vespine is that we are we're not a Bitcoin mining company. Where we 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 simply use Bitcoin mining as a as a tool to achieve kind of a longer term goal, uh, and that longer term goal is utilizing landfills as a, a key step in the energy transition to a green energy future. So the reason there's so the reason that Bitcoin mining is so useful as a methane uh, as a as a way of kind of economically mitigating methane emissions is primarily for two reasons. The first is that it is very, it's immediately scalable. So that means that you can, you can set up Bitcoin mining kind of anywhere on earth without needing a customer. Um, and you can, you know, as long as you have access to open sky, you can send that data away from the site via satellite. Right. So if you if you compare that to, let's say, traditional data centers, uh, firstly, if you're running a traditional data center, you have to uh, you have to have a much higher bandwidth of Internet connection. So you have to run you know, fiber Internet and typically remote rural landfills aren't going to have fiber Internet. And um, that 
uh, you, so a, a, a typical, you know, data center is not going to be able to with, withstand um, interruptibility. So this is the other factor that's really important about Bitcoin mining is that it's fully interruptible. And this is kind of a key feature of our microgrid solution because the, the, the purpose of the microgrid, the self-sustaining microgrid is not just to, let's say, mine Bitcoin, but it's also to support on-site electrification. And so, you know, landfills have a lot of, uh, you know, electric, let's say electric uh, loads. So there's there's things like um, leachate pumps. So leachate is basically the, the liquid that comes out of the landfill that needs to be either pumped back into the landfill and, and recirculated or uh, pumped away from the landfill into a wastewater treatment facility. And these pumps actually consume quite a bit of electricity. So by having a microgrid on site, we now are able to electrify the, the landfill without needing to uh, consume grid power and without needing uh, diesel generators. And so typically landfills have a lot of diesel generators um, to supply, you know, extra power to the site. We're able to leverage the landfill gas, mitigate the, the methane emissions and provide that site with uh, with clean energy for its for its on-site use. So we think of our, our developments as kind of a phased approach, right? So phase one, we're going to get in there as quickly as possible, mitigate those methane emissions in a in an economic way. Phase two is we support any and all on-site use cases for that for that energy. So I mentioned leachate, uh, also electric vehicle charging. So um, there's actually a big push in the landfill community to electrify their fleets, and by having uh, a microgrid set up on site with high power electric production, we can actually co-locate fleet charging with Bitcoin mining acting as a backup. And it's it's very key to have that interruptible load acting as a backup because, you know, landfill gas methane needs to be mitigated or combusted 24-7. If you're not charging your vehicles, where does that ex that excess energy go? So we need a place, basically a dumping ground for that excess energy. And then the phase three is, you know, there are some sites that over time and as population centers change, there are plenty of sites that are going to be targets uh, and good fits for grid connection over time. The reason that you wouldn't start with grid connection is because typically, you know, wholesale energy sales is a very low margin activity. And there's all this extra infrastructure that needs to get put in to attach that site to the grid. Um, you know, happy to jump, happy to sort of elaborate more on the grid connection. But our goal long term is that all of the sites that we're going to build, that we build out, are going to be attached to the grid, contributing to the overall electrification of the country. Well, Adam, it's uh, quite an interesting concept. Uh, you're listening to a climate change. I've got CEO of Vespian Energy on the program, Adam Wright, and uh, we're talking about uh, you know using the methane coming off of uh, you know lots of landfills across the country to use it for some good purposes. Here, uh, we'll be right back after the break. You're listening to a Climate Change. This is Matt Matter, and I've got Adam Wright, uh, the CEO of Vespian Energy, on the program uh, talking about methane mitigation. Uh, Adam, uh, just before the break, we we're talking about uh, what your company is doing with this 
energy that's being generated uh, by the um, the clean burning turbines that you are installing at these um, at these landfills. I guess I have a question as to why not uh, put a grid connection so that you could feed this energy back to the grid as opposed to Bitcoin mining. I know you said that wholesale energy is not a, a very um, high margin business, but uh, doesn't that uh, isn't that a little bit more environmentally conscious or you know than creating Bitcoin, which may or may not have value going forward? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a it's a valid question. And I think that, you know, our goal as a company is that we want all of our sites to ultimately be selling electricity to the grid. So if you if you said if you said, hey, Adam, you can you can do what you're doing today and scalably mitigate methane emissions and connect to the grid kind of instantaneously, I would absolutely choose the grid connection option. There's several there's several problems with starting with grid connection. So the, 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 the purpose of the Bitcoin mining is basically as a bootstrap and you're you're able to get a site up and running, mitigate the methane emissions with a an instant buyer of that electricity co-located with the site. So the the main problem with grid connections are there's there's several problems, but I'll, I'll sort of highlight the main challenges is that if I have a new power plant, let's say a small power plant, like a you know what we're doing, what we're dealing with here is anywhere from one to four megawatts, and that's very very small in comparison to a typical power plant, which is putting out you know 20, 30, 50 megawatts or more, right? And so in order to kind of the, the, the utilities are not going to prioritize the work required to interconnect these very small generation assets to, to the grid at large. And so the challenge there is actually working with all of the local utilities around the country in the jurisdictions where these landfills are located and actually getting the agreement in place to physically interconnect and sell that electricity to the grid. And then furthermore, most of these sites, I think, as I mentioned, are very remote and, and, and rural, and a lot of them don't actually have any existing uh grid connection so in, in in addition to the time it takes to deal with the local utility you also have to incur additional expense to build out power lines and power lines can be uh anywhere from one to three million dollars a mile and so for landfills that are far away from let's say substations it can be very costly to uh to put those in and so those are those are two two of the main factors like in addition to the, the fact that selling wholesale electricity can be very very low margin right so if we if we start with bitcoin mining and we over time we so firstly we we start with bitcoin mining we also enable that site to get off grid and we save them on uh costs uh, of their electricity and also reduce the overall load on the grid at large, we can 
and and further take them off of diesel generators, we can then uh, over time um, connect to the grid after, let's say, you know, let's say we've we've used Bitcoin mining, we've managed to amortize the cost of the of the equipment, the generation equipment. And then once we've amortized the cost, then we can actually accept a lower margin activity for a much longer term. So I think the, you know, the key thing to understand is that, you know, we are very much, um, so we are very much, uh, like our goal is to connect as many of these sites to the grid as possible, because we know that like electricity sales and the need for electricity is only going to be growing. So the fact that we're leveraging Bitcoin mining is simply as kind of a, a temporary bootstrapping mechanism towards that ultimate goal in the future. Well, let me ask you in terms of a couple of things. One, uh, for the uninitiated like myself, uh, just kind of assuming that there's some kind of electricity connection, grid connection to to every uh, area where there is a landfill, uh, though it might not be uh, a substation, how much uh, is the limitation of what you could feed onto the grid through a kind of regular um, you know, utility power line versus needing the need for a substation? Also, whether or not some battery or battery technology could be helpful in allowing you to kind of feed uh, energy into the grid, maybe at a slower pace, uh, so that uh, you, you know you can feed it into the grid when there are times when um, per power providers need more electricity, like during the daytime. Or the third point is the government uh, and what the federal and state local governments are doing to encourage grid connection in these situations, because it's in should be in the interest of all of these governmental entities to lower methane emissions uh, for their respective communities and mm -hmm. lower the amount of pollution. Are, uh, are any of the levels of government cooperating and working with you to uh, help roll out these solutions? And maybe a fourth question related to it is, are there... Uh, other companies that are doing similar things to uh, mitigate methane coming out of landfills uh, along the lines that your company is doing? Sure. Well, maybe I'll start with the last question. Um, so we're the only company currently that is trying to address the problem of landfill methane emissions from smaller landfills at scale. There's no other company that is talking to these landfills, interacting with these landfills. I'll give you some examples. You know, when we when we identify, you know, a small landfill that is emitting methane and we contact them, they've never been contacted before by any commercial developer. So, you know, we're the we're the first company that's actually coming to them with a solution to their problem. Um and that's simply because of you know we're we're using this we're, we're you know we're using we're leveraging uh, a a technological 
advance or improvement on the current on the current kind of status quo and applying that to to a problem. And so the you know the landfills that we're talking to are are sort of I would say you know overjoyed I guess to to have us knocking on the door and actually providing them with a solution. Um, so you know from that perspective you know, our technology and our, uh, our development. Um, so we, we've identified in, you know, in the United States, I mentioned there's 3000 landfills about, and, you know, we kind of, you, you go down the list and there's, so is there about, there's about a thousand landfills out there that are just straight up emitting into the atmosphere. So no gas collection system whatsoever. These landfills, if we select the largest 300, of those landfills. So these are the 300 largest unregulated landfills. If we were to, and we're, we're already, we've already sort of having conversations and well on our way to 30 of those 300. Um, so if we were to, to, to have projects on all 300 of, the, of those landfills, we would reduce US landfill methane emissions by 22%. Um, which now, would, give us a give us yeah. a sense of what that means in terms of twenty two percent. What would be the amount of cars and uh, that would need to be taken off the road to or changed to other uh, zero emission type mm-hmm. vehicles in order to equal twenty two percent of all U.S. methane production. Yeah, I know. I know that there's various calculators and things where you can where you can kind of calculate those. We we think in terms of CO2e or carbon dioxide equivalent. Um, so those that 22 percent of U.S. methane emissions would be approximately twenty million tons of CO2e annually. Um, and you know, there's calculators that'll calculate that into cars, but it's going to be on the order of you know, let's say 10, tens of millions of cars potentially. Um, so I guess then the question is why isn't, uh, you know, kind of government getting involved to help scale mm. this out faster? Because I realize this is a private effort that you are engaged in and that's mm-hmm. commendable, but uh, given the scale of the problem and the need to reduce uh, emissions quickly, sure. uh it doesn't seem like it's going to scale as fast as we need to um, to eliminate methane production in mm-hmm. the way that we need to have it limited by you know twenty thirty. Well, the government uh, the government is very in, active. In order to answer that question, Adam, <laughs> uh, or you know, you're going to have to stay tuned because after the break, uh, we're going to go to break right now, and Adam will come back and answer that important question. Um, We'll be right back. This is Matt Mattern, climate change, uh, talking to Adam Wright, CEO of Vespian Energy. We'll be back in one minute. You're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern. I've got Adam Wright, CEO of Vespian Energy on the show. Uh, right before the break, uh, Adam was going to answer a question I had just posed to him. Uh, Adam, turn it over to you. Yeah, so I think the, the question was related to, to government uh, support uh, for methane reduction in general. And I think that's 
absolutely true. The government, uh, various government bodies, whether it be the federal government or state governments or even local air districts, everybody that we've interacted with has been overwhelmingly supportive of our solution because so, you know, the, the government only has kind of a, a stick, let's say that's so long. So, you know, if, if regulation is a, is a stick, I think we provide a, a carrot in the, in the sort of the carrot and stick analogy. Um, you're, you're, it's going to be very difficult. And the EPA has already done a commendable job on, um, you know, requiring landfills to install gas collection systems and, and flare their gas for environmental, uh, you know, mitigation purposes. But there's, there's so many landfills in the U.S. and, it's just it's virtually impossible to try to you know mitigate all of them you know they have they they've set certain thresholds that you know the 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 new source performance standards or nsps as part of the clean air act um they actually recently update upgraded that uh to say that you know newer landfills or ones that were built after 1994 they've actually lowered or sort of made the threshold more stringent for their emissions by about 20 or about 30%. But even, even that threshold still, uh, there's still some, you know, like landfills that are capable of producing anywhere from let's say one to three megawatts of power are, are actively emitting. Um, and I think one of the, one of the questions I wanted to address as well was, you know, I think you're, you're right that most landfills do have some kind of grid connection in terms of, you know, they have power to power the offices and things of this nature, but those, those, those power lines and those connections are, are sized for very small loads. So typically it might be a, you know, a 50 amp or a hundred amp service. Uh, whereas if we're, so we're creating, you know, anywhere from one to five or one to four megawatts of power, you need to you need to have some significant upgrades done to the site, which is again very costly to have the the grid actually be able to accept that that amount of power. Um, and you, I think you had mentioned batteries. Like, can you set up a battery system to to sort of trickle the power in at a very, at a slower rate? I mean, theoretically, you probably could, but batteries are going to be you know, from a CapEx perspective, significantly more expensive than, than we're, what we're able to, to put together. Um, you know, that being said, all of that work to, to build, you know, to have a grid, be able to accept the power built, you know, from our site, we, we start that work from day one, right? So the, the day that our site is up and running and generating power and, and providing economic incentive, we're also working with the local utility to, uh, to have that site ultimately, you know, uh, connected to grid and that, that, that interconnect, uh, uh, agreement can take anywhere from three to five years in some cases. And so in that, in those, in those three to five years, we're able to mitigate the methane and, uh, you know, and provide financial remuneration back to the community. And then when we do get that grid connection, we pick up our data center and we move it to the next site that we're building. So it's very, it's very modular and scalable um, in the sense. So again, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's important to kind of look at Bitcoin, you know, I know Bitcoin mining gets a very bad rap, right? So if I'm, 
if I'm setting up a new, let's say I'm I'm opening a, an old coal power plant for purely the purpose of Bitcoin mining, that is, I would say, anybody could agree that that is a the wrong uh, message for, for for the climate, right? But I think by leveraging Bitcoin as a tool in this uh, in this effort to mitigate methane, it can help to so by so here's the other thing, the other important thing about that is that for all the the more Bitcoin mining that we do on our sites, we are lowering the margins for all other all Bitcoin miners that are working on dirty power. So the more kind of because you know wasted methane is by by definition, very, very cheap power. So the more kind of wasted methane that we can build out, the lower the margins are going to be for people that are mining with coal, right? And so we're, by us building out more infrastructure, we're actually potentially putting other sort of dirtier miners out of business. In terms of the diesel generation that uh, you're able to reduce by the fact that you're uh, creating this cleaner power source off of the uh, the methane. Uh, what kind of reduction are you getting in diesel generation at these um, uh, landfills that you're going to be doing the work out of? Yeah, I mean that's a that's also a very site specific question. I think that some landfills uh, are going to have um, you know different landfills have different use cases. A lot of a lot of landfills use diesel generators to some extent to do things like, I think I mentioned before, leachate evaporation or leachate pumping, um, but also uh, other types of kind of solid waste management. So there's things like, you know, grinders and chippers and sorting machines. Um, and a lot of times it, because that landfill is far, because the the electrical service to that landfill is uh, is is sort of small in terms of its ability to to provide power. They're they're forced to have these other these other you know diesel generators that can be you know up to you know several hundred kilowatts. And so um, you know a small a small landfill of of one megawatt can support all of these other landfill use cases. Uh, and basically negate the re the need to have any type of diesel power generation, which you know is is sort of an it's an ancillary environmental benefit to the main benefit of mitigating the the methane emissions. Um, but the the thing that enables that is in fact the Bitcoin mining. So without Bitcoin mining being this variable load. Uh, that's able to scale up or scale down because if I turn off my Bitcoin mining machines, nobody's going to care what happens to that data. The only thing that happens is that you know I, I I turn it on and I'm and I'm gaining you know I'm getting revenue. I turn it off, I'm losing that revenue. But let me ask you in terms of uh, this problem uh, that twenty percent of the U.S. is methane production is coming from landfills and uh, given that the amount of um, damage that's doing to mm -hmm. uh, the environment, uh, not that I'm for the government stepping in on every situation to, to solve the problem. It would be certainly preferable if private industry uh, mm -hmm. solved it itself and uh, your company's efforts are commendable on that front. But um, why shouldn't the government do more to step in and 
reduce the amount of methane emitted from these sites. Uh, some something along the lines of what your company is doing, uh, whether it's uh, having the clean burning turbines as well as connecting these turbines to to the grid more effectively, so that we can use that power. Yeah. Well, so the government the government typically doesn't uh, come in and sort of develop projects. So the way that the government actually gets involved is with things like the so the D Department of Energy, for instance, has a a program called Title 17, which which actually got a lot more funding recently from the uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, and Title 17 is a is basically a loan program or or a loan guarantee program for developers that are using innovative technology in energy infrastructure to mitigate greenhouse gas emissions. And so we are, you know, in conversation with various levels of government agencies to actually secure, you know, government funding for a broad rollout of our of our technology. Um, I think we talked to uh, Jigar Shaw. We had him on the program <laughs> a few months ago, and he's, I guess, in charge of forty billion dollars. That's uh, that's uh, exactly the forty billion dollars that we're uh, that we're looking at. <laughs> I mean, how much can... of it? How much of it would you need to roll it out countrywide to to yeah. really solve this problem? Sure. In terms of like a dollar a dollar spent per like ton of co2e our tech our technology is is going to be some of the the best bang for your buck so a 300 landfill rollout of systems like collection systems uh turbines and you know the whole nine yards is going to be anywhere from let's say one and a half to two billion dollars for that entire rollout and that would save 20 20 million uh tons of co2e annually um so if you look well, at that Seems like a good use of our our funds, and and that's a loan. And and from what uh, Jigar Shah told us, that they've got a pretty good collection rate in terms of people paying them back. So that means not only are we going to have an environmental benefit, we're going to get our money back as U.S. taxpayers. Uh, so I assume Adam, you're going to pay us back, right? Uh, most definitely. <laughs> okay. Well. Uh, Fascinating topic. Uh, good luck with your uh, the work that you're doing, Adam. Great work as CEO of Vespian Energy, uh, helping mitigate the methane problem out of uh, thousands of landfills across the U.S. and hopefully uh, beyond because uh, the U.S. isn't the only country with landfills. Uh, you're listening to a climate change. This is Matt Matter. And, uh, please join us next week. Uh, thanks again, Adam, for being on the show. Thanks, Matt. Nice to be here.